Hello, welcome to the Lost in His Own Museum podcast, episode three, uh, with Twig and Jim. I'm Twig, and I am Jim. And so this week we're doing it over uh, over Facebook Messenger. <laughs> we're chatting over Facebook Messenger. Um, we are indeed. So yeah. we're recording on each end because social distancing and all that. Absolutely. Um, what could possibly go wrong, Phil? I know what could possibly go wrong. Absolutely nothing. I hope. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> It'll well, be we- fine. We did one for uh, another podcast you were part of back in the first lockdown, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, and it worked, worked like one. this. Yeah, yeah. so that, that yeah, was, was a lot right. of fun. That yeah, a lot of fun. That yeah. yeah. So uh, so this week we watched Panic Room we by did. David Fincher. We did, and we watched it separately. I from my Panic yeah, which Room was and Phil from his own Panic Room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lock the door and everything. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's like Laura, no, you can't come in. I'm watching this film. I have to immerse myself in the experience. Locked her outside yeah, the house. She was fuming. <laughs> Dude, it's January. <laughs> hey, it's I tell not you, cool. I tell you what, if I um if I got a, like a, a bolted steel door on this cinema room, it'd be one heck of a panic room. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Yeah, nobody would ever find you. Except for the two big windows. Yeah, they'd they'd know exactly where I was, but I'd be having a blast of a time in there. Yeah, you'd be all right. I think you'd be all right for a while before anybody anybody (laughs) realised. Before anybody (laughs) put the window through and came in that way, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's Panic Room featuring Jodie Foster, Kristen Stewart, Jared Leto and Forrest Whitaker. Absolutely. Um, And Dwight Yoakam as well. And Dwight Yoakam, who I keep forgetting about because he wears a mask for a considerable amount of... But he is like the main... He turns out into the, into the sort of the main bad guy. He does really, doesn't he? Yeah, to be fair. Yeah. Should we should we do a bit of a bit of a recap on the plot in case anybody's not so sure? Yeah. Well. Yeah. You you go ahead. So Jodie Foster um, is playing a soon-to-be-divorced woman, and she's with some of her settlement money buying a house that's going to be close to her her daughter's father, so that they can share custody and do all of that fun stuff. And she buys this absolutely amazing house uh, on the west side of New York, and we're talking absolute fixer-upper, but it's got the potential to be amazing. One of the things that the house has is a panic room. And uh, the previous owner of the house was uh, sort of a, a little bit uh, worried that his family might try and pick him off, and he's got all sorts of, you know, sort of concerns and uh, a, a very anxious person. So has this panic room put in. So Jodie Foster and Co move into the into the house. Jodie Foster and her daughter, and uh, then the son of the previous owner, which is Jared Leto's character. Uh, breaks in with Forrest Whitaker, who is a locksmith yeah. essentially, because they uh, think that there's like a million dollars hidden in a hidden in a safe somewhere in this panic room. And... Absolutely, yeah. But they they think because yeah. Jared Leto's character is an absolute idiot in this that um, yeah. that the house is going to be vacant, and uh, he's like, "There's the quote in it, isn't there?" Well, well, fourteen days. That's three weeks. And he's like, "What school did you go to? Where fourteen days <laughs> is three weeks?" And it's like, "Business days, man. Escrow." <laughs> and uh, but yeah. yeah, but being an absolute lemon that he is, Jared Leto's character brings along Raúl, who is actually a serious bad guy and not just an opportunist like these two, and that sort yeah. of throws a spanner in the works when. Forrest Whitaker and Jared Leto realise that Jodie Jodie Foster and uh, did I say Jodie Whitaker before? I might have said Jodie Whitaker. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh well. Yeah, because this is Panic Room starring Jodie Whitaker and Forrest Foster. Yeah, <laughs> like, 
Um, but yeah. <laughs> Throw me off now. Anyway, when, when the Jodie that isn't Doctor Who um, realises yeah. that there's intruders in the house, she gets her daughter and they get into the panic room. At that point, the burglars want to call the whole thing off, but Raoul, who's the, the third guy that's brought along, is a much more sinister chap and decides, no, nah, that's not the case. And, and it sort of goes from there, really, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, I'd, I do like Jared Leto's character because I love this idea of like this really, um, the, the guy who seems quite professional as a criminal for the first like couple of minutes that his character's in the film, and then you realise, wow, this guy's like a complete mess. Has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, he's just a he's um, just a trust fund sort of snob, isn't he? He's he's literally grown yeah. up living off daddy's money and then obviously daddy's died and he's not getting the cut that he thinks he deserves. So it's yeah. literally the how sheltered he's been from the real world is revealed very soon on, isn't it? Yeah, the, like it's the amazing arrogance to him that the the kind of play on almost immediately where like he's it's it's not just the fact that he's like he's an idiot. He he's like the self appointed leader of this of this operation, who obviously starts to lose control of the situation very quickly. Um, Absolutely, yeah. To, and it, like it, it's the thing of him having like braided hair and stuff as well, because he's supposed to sort of separate himself and look like a badass. But as as it goes forward and you start to realise that he's how much of an idiot he is, it just makes him look even more stupid. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really well done because, like, exactly yeah. like you say, they sort of they introduce him, and for maybe five, ten minutes or so, he almost seems like he's got a bit of an arrogance about him, but he knows what he's doing. And yeah. uh, and yeah. Forrest Whitaker almost seems like the reluctant one, which which I suppose he is. Um, yeah, he's definitely reluctant to hurt anybody because obviously the only reason why he's taking the job in the first place is because he thinks there's going to be nobody in the house. Yeah, and he's he's just um, after the money sort of thing, isn't it? But uh, I thought that Dwight Yoakam was brilliant as Raul, because like you say, he turns out really to be the big bad of the the thing, and there's sort of like almost towards the end an uneasy alliance between Jodie Foster's character Meg and Forrest Whitaker's character Burnham. Yeah, he does sort of redeem himself. Um, Yeah, it's it's an interesting film. Like I was watching, I've been watching some behind the scenes stuff about it, um, and like some interviews with Jared Leto particularly. Yeah. And did you know, like David Fincher himself braided Jared Leto's hair? For I did the not know that. <laughs> yeah, apparently spent quite a lot of time in um, spent quite a lot of time in Central America, um, and and learned how to do it. And it was it was Fincher's <laughs> idea to have to have him with braided hair because of you know the, like the aforementioned obviously you know it's it's um, the whole idea is that they want him to, they want to make him look badass to begin with and completely stupid as you start to find out how inept he is so yeah. like the thing the thing like the braided, braided hair makes it worse as it goes on which I think was a great choice it, it does work really well doesn't it and David Finch is one of those directors where he not only tells the story with the script that he's given um, and it might sound daft to say that he tells a story visually with a film but like it's it's like the visual clues and cues that he gives on the like you say braiding yeah, the yeah. character's hair and stuff like that and the way that Forrest Whitaker portrays his character you can tell that he's really reluctant as well and you get right from the offset as well that Raul's going to be an absolute you know horrible bugger when it gets going and and yeah, there's, yeah. there's there's all visual cues and clues like the the fact that Raul's the only one that's masked up even though they they think they're breaking into an empty house He's the only one who's got a gun. Yeah, he's he's the only one that's well, like armed, yeah. and it's yeah. But David Fincher does he's actually does doing that. it right. 
do you know i really enjoyed this one mate i, I know i was saying to you before when when you suggested watching it that i was keen to re-watch it but i yeah. i'd often thought this one maybe sort of like the the, the run of uh, david finch's litter if you like i sort of always remembered it being his weaker film but yeah i suppose I mean, it, it is but it's 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 a bit like saying that like the the return of the jedi is like the weakest star wars movie of the original trilogy you know because it's like it's still a star wars movie like it's you know what i mean so it's it's like with with i, I think you're right with panic room I, I, like it's certainly not one of david finch's best but it's a david fincher film and it's yeah. it's really good, you know. I, I had a lot of fun with it last night, and I really mm. really enjoyed it. it. Must be probably five years or so since I've seen it. I picked up the the DVD, and I was going to do something really daft. Then I was going to pick up the DVD and show it to the uh, to the camera. But uh, this is radio, kids, and uh, <laughs> if if you can see me right now, there's a problem. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I picked up the television pick, you know, for the blind. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Somebody should invent that. Yeah, yeah, like like radio, for example. Yeah, for, well, uh, yeah. Somebody should do that television for the uh, for the blind, and it radio for the deaf as well might be. Uh, yeah, that'll be handy. Yeah, really insensitive. Uh, we do apologise yeah. in advance. We mean absolutely no harm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really enjoyed coming back to this film and. Um, Sort of almost watching it with a fresh pair of eyes. I think the last time I watched it, I was... I can't remember whether I was with family or a group of friends. I was certainly with a group of people. And you know when you're socialising and you don't really necessarily take it all in sort of thing. But it was really nice yeah. just to sit there last night, me and our lass, and watch it and really sort of, obviously for, for the purposes of this, actually really pay attention to what was going on and try and notice little bits. And it, it was yeah. really quite gripping uh, at moments. Um you know, I never found it too tense, and I don't know about you, but like even in the moments where you were possibly supposed to be on the edge of your seat, I never felt that the stakes were that high. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I did in places, but not like, um, not. There was a lot of a lot of parts where I felt you were supposed to feel like that, and I sort of didn't. The one part where where I really did, um. What I really was a little bit on edge was the uh, the um, the setting setting a gas pipe on fire. Oh yeah, that that's a good scene. Yeah. Is that I'm glad that's you a fantastic that scene? Yeah, Jared Leto was actually on fire as well. They um, they touched it up in post, but he was yeah he did he did the stunt himself. Well done, that um, man. That's uh, yeah yeah. Do you, know, do you know Laura commented on the CGI actually of all things? She's like. Do you know that's a bit ropey in parts? It hadn't aged well, um, but uh, yeah, so it, like you know the, when it goes scene, up the vent and stuff. Yeah, there's the, there's the, the couple of like the the big long single shot scenes. You know, like the money shot. Yeah. At the beginning, where it's like where they're breaking into the house and they they've got the camera sort of panning round each room in a single in what's supposed to look like a single shot. But there's bits where you're like, come on. Like how stupid yeah. do you think I am? So like when it goes through the, the handle of the co- of the of the coffee pot and you're like, what? Yeah, no, like, come no. off, come it's, off. It looks cool, but it's like it, it it's it looks cool in like 1999, not now. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, this film is early 2000s, but it does really have that yeah. whole flavor of 90s action movie, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, with it with it being a bottle movie as well, because the whole thing takes place in a single location. Um. Which I think is with like with the exception of the of the first and the last scene where they're sitting on the on the bench in the park, but um, yeah, 
I do like that. Like I, I like bottle episodes of like TV shows and stuff. I'm a big fan of that. Um, it's it's an interesting it's really concept. With it. yeah, yeah, definitely an interesting concept because you've you've really got to have compelling characters to keep you intrigued, haven't you? Because there's yeah, nothing yeah. else to to go on. And uh, I thought Kristen Stewart did okay in this because this was one of her early roles, wasn't it? Um, like yeah, pre- she was really good. I was quite impressed. Yeah, pre-Twilight and everything. To be fair, though, I know she gets a lot of flack for those films, and those films are horrible. Um, yeah. Well, but she's I, do you know what? I, well, I can't speak for all of them. I, I've seen one of the, like, Breaking Dawn Part 6 or whatever it is, Breaking Wind or yeah. whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> Breaking Wind. But um, I, I've seen one of them because the, the mother-in-law's quite a big fan of them. Um, okay. And one was on a couple of Christmases ago. Um, so it's you know one of them where you sat in somebody's house and you've got a yeah yeah this is great oh yeah loving it. it yeah love loving it Ruth <laughs> yeah cracking film no no not at all um, and then uh, when the first one came out me me mate got it on DVD and uh, he's like he says oh you'll love this you'll absolutely love this and raved about it and made me think that yeah. it was going to maybe be like the next Harry Potter or, you know, that sort of thing, like big, you know, book franchise turned into a sort of teenage coming of age sort of, you know, whatever. And uh, Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's certainly what it was sort of sold as, I think. Yeah, um, and I got 15 minutes into the DVD and was like, what is this shite? And uh, <laughs> turned it off. So, so I've seen one and... A smidge of some Twilight yeah. movies, and that's what I'm basing my review on. So, folks yeah. out there, I've, if you I've want seen to... all of them. Like... Oh, yeah. oh mate, I, I, I binged them a couple of years ago. I had flu, and I was like, I've, I've seen, I'd seen the first. Did you one, want to make then... yourself feel worse? I, I don't really know what I was thinking. I think, I, I, I think at the time it was like I, I feel like I didn't give these movies a proper, like a, a chance. You know, like I, I didn't, um, I sort of felt guilty that I've, I've panned them and I've never seen them. So I was like. Yeah, go on, and, and there's bits of them that I sort of enjoyed, and you know, I I think it was partly for me. It's because I, I I love, um, I love vampire stories, hmm. generally, and you know, I like, um, big fan of the Lost Boys, and that's a good and, film, and you know the, yeah, like the, there's some some really classic vampire films that I'm really into, and I, I love that that sort of that folklore of it you know like the mixture of like vampires and werewolves and all that sort of stuff so i was like all right i'll give it a go but like on that level i was really disappointed by them like as as supernatural fiction it's just awful like it's it's really bad um because <laughs> i sort of feel like the supernatural element of it doesn't really like isn't really that necessary for the story do you know what I mean? Like it could have just as easily have been like normal teenagers. Yeah. But um speaking yeah, but, of normal yeah. teenagers, um Kristen yes. Stewart is is one in this film. Um yeah, sorry, we went on a bit of a tangent there. We we did indeed, yeah. And again, poking fun, no harm intended. If you enjoy those films, more power to you. Um yeah, but, fair point. um But yeah, no, she's really good and I really I sort of I liked the fact that they introduced the stakes that she was diabetic as well. Cause it yeah, was like that was they, really interesting. They, they needed to obviously have a have a reason for them to just come out of that room because otherwise they just yeah. wouldn't, would they? It's got to create um, some like urgency somewhere in there, you know. And yeah, yeah, and you you could see it coming a mile off that Forrest Whitaker's character was going to be the one having the redeeming arc, and you know it was sort of like 
he'd be the one to save her. And uh, I, I thought it was brilliant yeah. when uh, Dwight Yoakam's character Raoul got his fingers caught in the you know the mechanic the ceiling. The, oh, and it was like, oh, that would sting. But, God, uh, it yeah, he he just looked like a character you won't mess with, didn't he? Don't you think he looked like Buffalo yeah. Bill from Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I was thinking a bit like a um, a bit like Tom Selleck and Quigley Down Under, except without the moustache. <laughs> no, I, de- I definitely got <laughs> a buffalo sort of job. Yeah, definitely got a Buffalo Bill yeah. vibe from it. It puts the lotion on its fingers, or else it gets the door again. <laughs> <laughs> that was more Forrest so Gump one- than it was Buffalo Bill, wasn't it? Oh, Jenny. It was a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Jenny. Jenny, put the lotion on. <laughs> oh, God. Welcome to Lost in His Own Museum After Dark. <laughs> oh, no, I feel bad. I can't, I can't rip on Forrest Gump because I love it so much. It's such a good film, It's one isn't of those it? films, yeah. It's, it's such a beautiful film. And, so what are we thinking yeah. about Panic Room, then? Is that, Do you is know- that growing... Yeah, I uh, I, re- I really liked it, and I think on the whole, because of, I think it's part of David Fincher's filmography, and he's such a yeah. talented filmmaker, I think it would be included as part of a collective. If this were, you know, Joe Bloggs' directorial debut, and, you know, uh, one of these sort of, not that there's anything wrong with them, I've dozens of them myself, but like flashing the pan directors that make a, a by-the-numbers action thriller sort of thing, I probably yeah. wouldn't put it in the museum, but because it's part yeah. of, you know, such a talented um, filmmaker's collective works, I think on that grounds it needs to go in. I think the performances were were pretty good. Um, I tell you one thing, just just going back to the, the 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 plot and the thoughts of the film again, I felt really bad for Forrest Whitaker's character at the end because obviously Jared Leto. Um, you know his character arc is uh, resolved rather quickly towards the end yeah. of the, the second act, isn't it? And then yeah. uh, obviously uh, Raoul meets his match as well, which means that Forrest Whitaker, who's the only one that didn't really want to be there, is the one that gets left to take all the blame for everything. Yeah, but, he sort uh, of wanted to get away as well, and then spoiler alert, um, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought I, that was a shame. I, I quite because they they hint at the fact that he's obviously got sort of family troubles and that's why he's he's normally a you know a, a good guy on the straight and narrow but he's he's come into some family issues and some obviously financial issues and you kind of almost wish in a way that Jodie Foster would be sort of like well it's not our money go on you know sort of bugger off before the cops get here sort of I, I kind of yeah. wish there was that moment at the end sort of thing but. Uh, I suppose somebody has to has to take the rap for it, don't they? Yeah, I guess so. But uh, do you know, yeah. like I say, yeah, as part of a part of a collective, I would uh, I would put it in the museum. What about you? Yeah, I think that one. Does, I I agree with you. I think that deserves to to go in the museum. But I, yeah, I think I think it's one of those that if it had been like a flash in the pan director, it would have been interesting to watch it as like as something quite good by a flash in the pan director. Um, mm. But to me, it's it's got a bit of that. It would feel a, a little bit like, uh, like. Have you seen In Time? Uh, I haven't. No, it's the Timberlake oh. and uh, Amanda Seyfried, isn't it? That one. Yeah, and um, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen Murphy it. But it's, in a couple of those. Yeah, it's it's the they've got clocks in their arm, haven't they? And it's that sort of yeah. whole. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it, yeah. but I've seen the trailers. It looks all right. It's one of those. that's like a. It's a really good concept. 
Like it's it's such a it's such a, a an interesting concept for a film with with like so much potential, you know, like like a really interesting premise, but hmm. really poor execution. And but it it was one of those because it was like a I forget who directed it. Now it was it was someone who hasn't done a, a right lot else, but it, um that's what it feels like, you know that that uh, sort of really good concept for a movie but just not it could have been executed better whereas yeah. like because with david finch's sort of stylistic approach to it it works like you know the, the single location the when they built the set they took half the side of the building off um so that they could, could accommodate for like for camera movements yeah, um, it's it's beautifully shot. You you cannot oh, yeah. absolutely knock the fact that it's been uh, been beautifully shot, and it the whole thing feels very much like you know you're watching a David Fincher movie. It just feels yeah. a little bit bit dialed back. Yeah, I mean, I think it it was his first big project after Fight Club, and I think Fight Fight Club just I think knocked the wind out of him a little bit. Yeah, maybe um, he wanted something a bit more, bit of a safe bet, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it, I mean, it was critically quite like received very well. Oh yeah, um, I can I can see why as well. Yeah, certainly better than Fight Club was at the time. Um, yeah, Fight Fight Club's really come into its. I mean, Fight Club's a fantastic movie, but it's, oh, it's yeah. really come into its own in later years, hasn't it? And I, I don't know if you could yeah. call it a cult following because I think it's just universally accepted that it's a good film now. But it certainly went through cult status and elevated past that, didn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Fight, Fight Club's quite possibly my favorite movie of all time, um, and it, yeah, I think it's I think it's absolutely incredible. And I think David Finch's approach to that was spectacular. Mm. Um, you know, even even without like without taking the cast into account, because um, obviously the you know the thing with Fight Club is it's Edward Norton, Brad Pitt, and Hell on the Bottom Carter, like yeah. which is a, that's a, that is a perfect top three. For like, um, you know, for a movie cast. Oh, they're, they're um, fantastic, aren't they? I mean, it'd be fair yeah. though. We, we've talked about it. there's some absolute a game in this, though, isn't there? I mean, Joe oh, Jodie yeah, yeah. Foster, Foster in the nineties was a regular leading lady in things. And, yeah, uh, I've, I've got a lot of time for Jodie Foster. I think she's brilliant. Oh, absolutely! My favourite performance yeah. of hers is always going to be Silence of the Lambs, and yeah. uh, I yeah. just think it's an absolute. Shame she never got to do the sequel, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, Forrest Whitaker's one of those, yeah, sorry, so Forrest Whitaker's all he's really good at what he does, and he's not quite a that guy because he's a lot yeah. more well known than a that guy, but he sort of almost falls into that category for me. Like yeah. when you see him, it's like, ah, oh, it's Forrest Whitaker, but it's like the next level up, isn't it? Sort of thing, it's like, he's, yeah. do you know what I mean? He's sort of like, yeah, yeah. he's he's. Top tier supporting cast, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, my my thing with Forrest Whitaker is he's one of these actors that you don't see very often, but when you do, he's really good. Yeah, um, you know, he's done done stuff like The Last King of Scotland, which was phenomenal. Like that. Oh, that, that was, was fantastic, fantastic wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, him and James McAvoy together, brilliant. But uh, yeah, I would I would say this one deserves to deserves to go in the museum. Absolutely. Um, would Would you say that we have chosen wisely? I would say. You have chosen wisely. Right. So um, that yeah yeah six six out of ten maybe a seven. 
yeah, I'm going to go six and a half, I think, with that, if we were yeah. to, to give it an out of ten. Uh, I think it it works well um, as a obviously a standalone piece, as it is, um, and when you're sort of watching it as part of David Fincher's filmography, it doesn't feel like it's all of a sudden really out of left field or, uh, yeah. you know, a, a miss for him sort of thing. And, yeah, right, right, enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay, so um, so moving on a little bit. Should we do a jingle? We'll do a little jingle. Yeah, yeah let's do a bit. jingle. Okay. <laughs> so, um, JT, you asked the internet this week uh, if you could swap out two characters... No, wait. Yes, sorry. <laughs> you asked the internet this week if you could swap out two characters in a film, um, which two and why? So, like, two lead characters... Yeah, with so lead characters from another film. I, do you know what? I, I didn't do it intentionally, but I, I guess my question was a little bit vague, and we got some varied responses. And that's actually brilliant, yeah. folks. So thank you for that. Uh, I was yeah. sort of thinking, say, if you had character A in film A, and then character B in film B, if you could swap them, and, and what would that character be like in another in another universe? And what sort of yeah. prompted the thought was when me and you were having a bit of banter over Twitter the other day and talking about uh, putting Ferris Bueller in a Crocodile Dundee. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and and vice versa, um, which obviously yeah, just be wouldn't. It, well, it just wouldn't work, would it? It'd be so stupid. Um, yeah, it'd be ridiculous. So, <laughs> yeah, part of me thinks it'd be really funny though. <laughs> like, but yeah, in either direction. So, absolutely. Well, um, our our friend and uh, musical acquaintance Joe uh, wrote in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he writes: um, John Travolta and Nicholas Cage in Face Off, but swapping them round in Face Off. So yeah, yeah. At first you laugh and you think, right, okay, so it's going to be the same movie. But actually, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's really because not. that that film's played for not played for laughs with with Nick Cage as the bad guy. But it's certainly mm. more tongue in cheek and comedic than it would be if John Travolta was doing the like nineties John Travolta, where he's having that bit of a bit of a you know bit of a comeback and he's sort of like um, golden years sort yeah. of thing. You know, he's done Pulp Fiction and he's you know he's done done a few other projects that have cemented him as actually you know he, yeah. in his in his forties and fifties or whatever he can he can do um, you know some of these action and drama movies. If he was the bad guy. And then Nick Cage was sort of playing the the wacky but lovable father. Yeah, that'd be a really dark movie. It, yeah, I think it would be a lot darker. It would, it would certainly be weirder the other way around. I mean, yeah, because it, it's it's basically it's it's Nicolas Cage playing John Travolta playing John Travolta's character in the film, and vice yeah. versa. So it's like. So yeah, they're, they're still having the other, to imitate the other direction. Yeah, they're still having to imitate one another, but it's it's that whole like you know Nick Cage playing the terrorist and he's he's playing Caster Troy and he's got that whole sort of yahoo you know that whole wacky zany Nicolas Cage thing about yeah. him that that, that see Nick anything Cage you like? Can, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And we're going to take his face off. Off. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing the hand movements. If you uh, yeah, you can't see it, but we're doing it. Again, if if you can see, there's there's something concerning going on, um, but um, yeah, <laughs> but you know, so he he's got all that, and he's got the the wacky zany sort of thing. And at the start of Face Off, um, Travolta when he's trying to pretend to be him, 
he's really struggling at first when he's in the prison when he sort of you know causes a bit of bother doesn't he um yeah. to sort of try and convince the brother that he is who he says he is and that it's not a plant or anything and you can see him yeah. struggling with it and then sort of leaning into it whereas the other way around obviously nick cage just has an absolute blast doesn't he but if yeah. you put travolta in that role and had him be a terrorist i i think that he could do a reasonable job not a not like an a grade oscar winning but a reasonable job at being yeah. a really dark sinister bugger um yeah. I and mean, then it's Nick, sort of Nick, bro- like did you see broken arrow i have done a long long time ago and i I can't really remember much about it. Is it Christian Slater as well with him, isn't it? It's yeah, Christian Slater's a good guy, and then John Travolta's the the um, the nasty. And yeah, I mean, it, he does it quite well in that. Like he played, not like a not on a cast of Troy sort of level. He's not he's not like wacky, and yeah, and like scary, like and like psycho scary and weird. Um, but he's not far off that. Like I think if he took that same energy into in a face off. I'd, you know, yeah. I'd, I think yeah, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too far removed from from what he has the ability to do. I I think as well, if we bring it back to Nick Cage for a minute, that it'd be really interesting because Nick Cage can give some really good dramatic performances. Yeah, yeah. and I I think if you swapped this round, you'd have to change the tone of the film and make it a lot darker and a lot more sinister than it is, and almost sort of forget about the whole bordering on sci-fi element with the whole swapping of faces bit and really yeah. just lean into the the character study of the two guys. Yeah. We're I would sat also, here anal- like, we're sat here analysing face off. What what yeah. have we become? I would quite like to see it directed by somebody else other than John Woo. Like <laughs> a little bit less sort of slow motion doves. There's always doves. Why is there always doves? Like well, every director has a trademark. Yeah, I suppose so. But that's a really Tar- specific Tarantino one. always yeah, Tarantino always gets Sam Jackson and Uma Thurman's feet in there somewhere and uh yeah, John Glenn who did the, the James Bond franchise, he he had uh, birds as a calling card as well. Next time you watch uh, yeah, any Roger so. watch any Roger Moore or Tim Dalton Bond film and there's always a scene where Bond gets startled by birds. Okay. Why have I never noticed that before? That's really weird. It's usually yeah, about I'm... two two thirds of the way into the film as well. It's always around the same. But anyway, um, yeah. so yeah, I think I think that swapping those two round in the same film would make for for an interesting watch. Did we get any other other suggestions that are, are worth? Yeah, having we've got a, a, few having on a this natter one. about. Um, there's there's one uh, <laughs> one that Laura asked us. Um, I can't really speak to this one because I haven't seen the film, but. Um, switching the guys from Twenty One Jump Street with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black. <laughs> so, Jump Street. The whole idea is that the guys are youthful looking enough that they can go back to high school and take okay. their their senior year or what would be our end of sixth form again. Yeah, um, I can already bust, see this to, with Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> yeah, to, to bust a, to bust a drugs ring, and obviously Men in Black's Men in Black. So. Yeah. The, the guys in Jump Street would probably be quite funny in a Men in Black movie. It's funny, actually, that she mentioned it because one of the plans before they did Men in Black International or whatever it was, you know, the Chris... Uh, one oh, of Chris the yeah. Yeah, um, and Liam Neeson. And, well, no, neither have I. I've not heard great things, so it's one of them I keep putting yeah. off because I love the, I love the tr- trilogy of the original ones. But one yeah, of the plans too. for... Um, 
Jump Street 3, before they shelved it, was going to be to cross over with Men in Black because the same people own the copyright. Okay. So so ah, we might well. have actually... We might have actually seen something like that at one, once upon a time anyway. Um, yeah, that would have been funny. I don't know. I, I get... The only way that they could make that work is if they put Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith into the school as teachers. Yeah, I think so. But then it kind of yeah. loses the whole... Because the whole point of Jump Street is that these guys are undercover cops that are meant to go and make friends with the kids they know are selling this deadly yeah. drug sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I just can't see Tommy Lee Jones at a cool kids party, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> pass me a beer, son, you know. <laughs> it's just... It's one, what, I don't know. That, I think that would be funnier though, because that's kind of that was the thing. It's like it's it's. I think Will Smith could probably get a, could could maybe have got away with it ten years ago. Maybe not now, but um, to, Tommy Lee they could, Jones they could do a Gemini man and take like twenty years off him digitally, just like smooth him yeah. over. <laughs> I think to, Tommy Lee Jones would be really funny because it would be like it would be like that. The the I, I don't even know what film it's from because I haven't seen it, but the, the meme of Steve Buscemi with the skateboard. Like, hello, fellow kids. Like, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones would do that really well. Oh, I don't know and why the, you the fact that it was that, so obvious would be even funnier. <laughs> the um, I, I can't do a Mr. Burns impression to save my life. But do you remember the episode, um, Who Shot Mr. Burns, where they discover the oil in The Simpsons? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the school discover it, and Burns dresses up as Jimbo the bully, and he's like, "Oi, oi, Dean, <laughs> me and my fourth form <laughs> chums." Oi, oi. <laughs> Yeah, my fourth form chums and I had, uh, you know, heard that you uh, struck oil and thought you should turn it over to the local energy concern, eh? It's like... <laughs> oh, so release the hounds. Which episode is it with the, the, the social security number? Not, 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 two. Damn Roosevelt. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Laura Simpson also Hal- said, "Yeah, so th- what?" I was just going to make another Burns joke. I was going to Simpson. How old do you think I am? I don't know. One hundred and six. No, I'm only ninety-one. <laughs> <laughs> Laura also said, uh, "The guys from Ghostbusters in the Hangover." So, your lads in the Hangover put them in the Ghostbusters and were fucked. Yeah, but the other way around. But the other way around Just, would be brilliant. So put the Ghostbusters. Let, let, yeah, put the Ghostbusters in the Hangover. Who yeah. who who's getting lost? So out of the four of them, one of them is lost for three quarters of the film. So which Ghostbuster is expendable? Um. So for me, it's oh, my money's got to be on Egon. Yeah, probably. E- yeah, yeah. E- Egon needs to have had a wild night. Because you can't yeah. lose Bill Murray, because Bill Murray is the Ghostbusters. Yeah, you can't. And I know Dan, Dan Aykroyd wishes. Yeah, I'm gonna say I know Dan Aykroyd wishes it were different, but Bill Murray is the Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson play off each other so well. Not that yeah. Harold Ramis, God rest him, didn't. But Harold Ramis is not <coughs> the, the, the straight man in there uh, of, of that yeah. comedic duo, isn't he? And. And I suppose, in a way, Justin Bartha in The Hangover is the straight man of that group, in terms yeah, of you so. know, obviously, Brad- Bradley Cooper's got his comedic moments, and then Stu the dentist, and then obviously there's is it Alan or John or whoever yeah. Zach Galifianakis plays in there. Um, yeah. uh, 
It's Alan, um, and obviously he's the wacky zany one. So I reckon that the wacky zany one would be Bill Murray. Bill Murray would just be the complete and utter yeah. out there and would have a blast with it. Dan Aykroyd yeah. would probably be uh, the the dentist guy, constantly anxious, sort of. And then Ernie Hudson would probably fit into the role of Bradley Cooper, sort of like the the cool, easygoing. Because he does that in Ghostbusters, doesn't he? Because he, it's like Bill Murray's sort of like past caring. Dan Aykroyd and uh, uh, Harold Ramis are there trying to explain to is it, uh, William Atherton's character, Walter Peck. And they're, they're yeah. sort of saying, no, there's ghosts and there's a river of slime. And I'm confusing the two films there, guys. Um, but, you know, <laughs> there's all there's all this going on and whatever the paranormal activity is. And they're getting nowhere fast. And then Ernie sort of pipes up and goes, no, listen, think of it this way. And sort of gives a really cool explanation as to what's... So, I, I that's so yeah, I don't think the guys in The Hangover um, going into Ghostbusters land would work. But the other way around would be superb. Yeah. Yeah, like funnier than The Hangover, in fact, I would say. Oh, God, yeah. Like, well, The Hangover a, movies get, get worse as they go. Have you seen the second and the third one? No, I've, I've only watched the first one. No, yeah. well, second one's all right. You know, like sometimes where they do these cash grab follow-up sequels and they're passable? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what the second one is like. It retreads all the same jokes, adds a couple of new laughs in there for you know get your money's worth sort of thing. But then the third one, they completely veer off and try and make it like a almost like a, a heist sort of kidnapping movie um, yeah. and and sort of forget to make it funny, but it's still meant to be a comedy and, yeah, it didn't... Yeah, I don't, I don't think it did well critically. Any more on that list, mate? Uh, just the one. Catherine says uh, Neo and Trinity from The Matrix with Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, dear. Um, no, well, so, just not, neither so way around would work. That, that's my yeah, that's my uh, that's my mother-in-law, folks. Um, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, she goes by Catherine online, but she's she's Ruth. Um, right. Yeah, Ruth. I, I don't really know how I could answer that to be fair because I haven't seen Fifty Shades yeah. of Grey. There's a fantastic video if you want to see all the people though doing Fifty Shades of Grey. There's a fantastic video on the internet and. Phil, you're looking worried, mate. Don't worry, it's not that kind of video. Um, right. But there's a yeah, there's wasn't an it? impression. <laughs> yeah, the, there's an it's a, last in his own museum after dark episode two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, there's a there's a video of a guy called Brock Baker, who's one of the guys who comes and does some of like the incidental voices on Family Guy, and you know, like when they get Morgan okay. Freeman in, and um, or they get you know a celebrity like and they get a voice it, actor in to to do a parody. Well, yeah. he's read passages from Fifty Shades of Grey as famous actors and characters from stage and screen, and it's That's brilliant. Cool. And there's there's um, there's there's a there's a there's a bit where Daffy Duck's reading some really explicit stuff, and then uh, there's there's one where Arnold Schwarzenegger's going on about oral sex, and it's just hilarious. But the guy's impressions are bob on, so. If you are so inclined as to see anybody else do Fifty Shades, that is where I would direct your attention. <laughs> I think, like, I think the Neo and Trinity in Fifty Shades could work if they brought in like story elements from the Matrix. Oh dear, you know what I mean? Like, if if the story was like was like half and half. What is the story for Fifty Shades, though? There isn't one. I know it started out as Twilight <laughs> fan fiction, and then it's just it's just porn, isn't yeah. it? Basically, more or less. It, 
go, go, on, go on to IMDb and look up a, a synopsis of Fifty Shades if you haven't seen it or haven't heard of it because you've been living in a cave on Mars. There's a there's a joke in there, isn't there, about the, 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 the all the pieces are there. Just got to put it together. A joke about the red pill and the blue pill. Oh yeah, there's got a, yeah, a really horrible joke. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. So what what would your one of these be then? Your kind of if you could swap two characters. Do you know that's um, I'd not really given it much much thought to be fair because I thought some of the suggestions that we got. I'm just trying that you put me on the. On the spot yeah. now. Um, I haven't either. That's why I let you go first. Because I'm thinking. Ah, well, thank, <laughs> thanks for that, man. Well, yeah, I should right. just consult the wall of films. Um, I. Oh yeah, I'd you're quite... surrounded by DVDs, so it's cheating. <laughs> I, I am indeed. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'd quite like to see something like maybe John McClane in a zombie film. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, some something like that, or uh, <coughs> I don't know. You, for for that to work, you've got to take characters that don't belong and put them somewhere. Yes, yeah, yeah. uh, like the Adams family in the Brady Bunch, or something like that, and you know, that that's <laughs> yeah, that sort that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to sort of try to sort of think. Um, ah, you stumped me there, mate. I'd like to see Indiana Jones in a Bond movie. Like that would, any that would any cool. given Bond movie, like, but not not one too obvious. Not like like Live and Let Die is too obvious. Fair enough. Um, you know, like not not stuff not stuff that Indiana Jones would do anyway. Um, Man with so, the Golden so Gun's probably too obvious as well because yeah, Man with Crystal the Golden Lee would Gun be a great and... villain in an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, he would, wouldn't he? Yeah. Uh, oh, Indy. Uh, Indy, Indy, Indy. In, uh, which Bond film now? I mean, it's going to have to be one of the really straight played ones, isn't it? Like from Russia or... Um, yeah. Like, Oh, it would be hilarious to see Harrison Ford doing the whole yellow ski suit Union Jack jump off the, you know, whatever ski slope it is, you know, at the beginning of The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, England really needs funny. me, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be class. Yeah. <laughs> but Indy, I need you. I've got to get it back to the museum. <laughs> <laughs> it belongs to Dr. No. Dr. No is dead and so are all of his grandchildren. Oh, grandchildren. <laughs> Do you expect me to talk? No, I expect you to follow the museum rules. <laughs> so that, uh, that I mean, Sh- sort of answers Sean Connery's. Um, yeah, Sean Connery's <laughs> in there as well, isn't he? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That that would be brilliant. That would be really funny. Like, I'd like to see him Search come for come the in Holy like Grail. A... You're joking. <laughs> I'd like to see Indiana Jones come in as like a, um, like, like an American ally to James Bond. Like a, like a Felix Lighter, Lighter type. yeah, type character, yeah. but like, but he, he is Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, because if he was in the CIA, it would be he'd be Jack Ryan. So it's like, yeah, they're they're yeah. good movies as well. Ah, oh, yeah. I tell you what, do you know what, folks? We had so many audience suggestions for that one that I thought that we'd just take the time to debate that one. But we'll bring that back as a as a segment 
and I'm I'm actually gonna I think I've challenged you to do the same, Phil. Let's right. each for for an episode later in the series bring each other a pitch of taking a lead character from a franchise and putting them into into something else. And, okay. Uh, and bring bring a pitch as to how you make that work. Right. Yeah, I'm all over that. Um, yeah, and then what, what, what? Yeah, what we'll do, guys, <laughs> is through some form of social media, we'll ask you guys to uh, to comment whose was the funniest pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, uh, I'm definitely up for this. Yeah. And then the, the the winner gets the respect of uh, the unknown masses on the internet. <laughs> should we? Uh, should Trophies we do some in questions? the mail. Yeah, let's do some questions. <laughs> let's do some questions because we've got loads this week. Um, we have got let's loads. Let's have a question jingle. Little question jingle. Question jingle. <laughs> question jingle. But scutter. <laughs> the way you said it just then, it sounded more like um, when Tommy Lee Jones is after Harrison Ford in The Fugitive and he finds him at the um, St. Patrick's break. Kimball! <laughs> Kimball! Yeah, it's, it's the janitor from Scrubs on the train as well, isn't it? Come on! Yeah, at the end. Come on! Yeah. <laughs> so we've got loads of questions this week. We've got two from Will, as usual, because Will loves asking us questions. Um, Will's I a will. champ. Thank you for listening. Yeah, Will's a good mate of ours. He's a good, uh, big fan of the big fan of the podcast. So cheers for that. Um, will says, "What's the best worst movie?" So like, oh, presumably like well, so bad it's good. Uh, m- my my answer for this is probably quite an obvious one, but it's The Room with Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. It's fantastic. Fair. Have you seen it yet? No, I still haven't seen it. No, because we've been talking oh, about mate. watching it together for ages. We, we're going to have to, as soon as, it, as soon as it's safe, we're going to have to have a, have a movie night. I'm going to have to subject you to this. So yeah. the, the Room, it, it's this guy, um, Tommy Wiseau, he plays Johnny, and he's in a relationship with a girl called Lisa, and then his best friend, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. And, um, you know, his, his best buddy uh, ends up sleeping with Lisa, and then it's the whole fallout of that. Now, this guy, Tommy Wiseau, he's made a load of money. Nobody knows how he's not revealed publicly how he's made, but literally millions of dollars. Um, and he's he's from originally from Eastern Europe and then moved over to the States to try and become an actor. Right. But because he can self-finance, he, he had this absolute atrocity made. And he went into it um, making wanting to make a serious romantic drama. Right. Um, and then when it got released, it got critically panned. And so he sort of quickly changed his tune and went, oh, no, no it's a black comedy. But it's, it is the biggest piece of crap I've ever sat through. <laughs> but it's you can't take your eyes off it. And it's so yeah. quotable. It's, it's just so bad that I can't do a review that will give it justice. You just need to sit down. But literally, the, the the other guy who was in it, a guy called, I think it's Greg Sestero or something like I could be pronouncing his surname wrong. Apologies if I am, not that he's listening. Um, but um, actually, we're having him on as a guest next week. That's how uh, much work these guys get. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, but he, he plays Mark in it. And he went on to write a book about the making of the film and just how ludicrous the whole thing was. Um, yeah. And then they turned that that book into the film, The Disaster Artist, that James and Dave Franco did a few years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and and that in and of itself is is a really good sort of comedic telling of the the making of the film. And there's loads of stuff that they've left out of that that didn't make it from the book. And at the yeah. end, it shows you like scene to scene comparisons of things. And yeah, it, it's just it's so bad it comes back round as good again. And yeah, absolutely hilarious sort of stuff. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch the Disaster Artist for ages. It looks amazing. 
I, I would suggest watching The Room first because it'll spoil your enjoyment of The Room. Okay. But I think you'll get more out of Disaster Artist if you've seen Room first. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I'm just trying to think best, worst movie. It's probably going to be something animated for me. Um, I think... I'd, um. Yeah, the the one that I was thinking of was was uh, it, it's a re- it's it's not it's not an obscure one because Johnny Depp's in it, um, but it's a, an animated. I th- was it, I think it was DreamWorks called Rango. Oh, the lizard. Um, yeah, it's about a chameleon that that falls off a. Uh, the the he's driving through the desert with like a he's in like a case on the back of this truck, mm. and the truck goes over a speed bump and he falls off. And ends up this chameleon played by Johnny Depp ends up wandering about in the desert, um, and it's it's one of those. It's like I think it's it's supposed to be a kids movie, obviously, but it's like there's so many like like not adult themes hidden, but like you know, like the Shre- Shrek type type thing. Yeah, um, uh, do you think he's compensating for something? <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, and he ends up in this. This wild, this little wild west town, populated by, by like little animals, and I, I remember, I I had a couple of beers the first time I watched it, and I remember thinking, what, the like, this is the most surreal, weird thing I've ever seen in my life. But it was so funny. It was it was absolutely hilarious. But like, such a crap film, really. When you when you think about yeah. the core premise of it, um, yeah. Well, th- there's a few films like that. I mean, there's there's a quite a few bad films I enjoy. Um, yeah. we, we briefly mentioned it uh, on one of the episodes before when we were talking about Michael Caine, but I really have a soft spot for Jaws 3 and 4. And yeah. they're appallingly bad. They're so bad. Like, Jaws 3, they went with the whole 3D, you know, with like the whole sort of red and blue glasses sort of thing for it. And yeah. there's some god-awful effects in there. Um, and then, obviously, the story's not cracking either, you know, that Jaws invades Marine World or whatever it is. Um, yeah. And then the fourth one's even more ridiculous. The family decide they're going to go and have a Caribbean holiday to get away from it all. And the, the son or whatever of the original shark, so they say in the film, <laughs> a swam out of the Caribbean to exact revenge. <laughs> you just see you know, it's just like literally it's like and a character actually says that it's like well he's come to exact his revenge and it's like no <laughs> mate come off it and it's like Michael Caine's in it and even Michael Caine can't save it and when Michael Caine can't save your film that's yeah, a bad film but I still you've love got it you've a problem here. yeah yeah, yeah um, so I, mean, I love stuff like that what's a, what's a terrible film that you don't like that's just so bad you've been like good lord that was Shocking. Um, oh well, I mean, oh, there's got to be a few sequels in there. Ghost um, the, Rider the big, Two's mine. Ghost Rider Two was awful. It was so it was so bad. Iron Man Three as well. Is one I of quite mine. liked Iron Man Three to be fair, but yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, fair play. That can be one of mine that I like. That because it is it yeah. is critically panned to be fair, but I I quite liked that it evoked a lot of the because it's uh, Shane Black that did it who had a lot to do with Lethal Weapon and. Uh, yeah. that sort of stuff and he, he yeah. does th- there's a lot of similarities to Riggs and Murtaugh's relationship um, in Iron Man 3 with the way that Stark and Rhodey play off each other but that's that's yeah. a whole other discussion for another time <laughs> yeah we'll have to watch Iron Man 3 again we'll go for that <laughs> so uh, yeah Will's other one was uh, which villain kind of had a point I've got three for this yeah so 
my first one, the one that I'll, I'll be honest, Will, uh, I had one that came to mind straight away. Um, um, I'll, I'll get to it in a second, and then I sort of looked up a few other famous movie villains and sort of thought, right, what's the what 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 are the what's the goal, and, yeah. and how much of a point would they have in in the real world? So the uh, the first one is Magneto. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd actually yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, because with that. when you take away all the superpowers bit, it's it's a whole sort of like equal rights movement. Yeah, and the only reason they're doing what they're doing is because they're not well, and that's the thing. That's what makes them a villain is because they're not so peacefully protesting their injustice. Yeah, um, yeah. and that's the only reason that they're, they're a villain because obviously Xavier and all the X Men do it the right way, and so 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 it's that yeah. so that's what makes him a villain. But he does have a point, and yeah. uh, and then the the other one. Um, Sorry, I said I had three, but there's 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 two. Sorry, uh, but oh, the sorry. other one is um, oh no, sorry, yeah, I, I, I remembered me my third one. Sorry, I'm forgetting myself. Me <laughs> my second one is Fletcher from uh, Whiplash. Okay. Um, again, yeah. he's an absolute ass, but it's sort of like does the does the means justify the it. end? Yeah, like when when yeah. he's explaining the whole thing about um, you know, like. He sit when he's sitting talking to him in the bar about uh, about Joe Jones throwing mm. a, throwing a symbol at Charlie Parker's head and almost decapitating him, you know, and like oh, there's no no two words worse in the English language than good job. And like when he explains it, it kind of makes sense, but the execution is is particularly like when you add it on to to what he does at the end of the film, which is just petty bitterness, really, because he deliberately yeah. like. You know. So that that was the bit that had me debating that one sort of with myself yeah. was sort of like being a really harsh critic, um, uh, you know, a, a fierce to the point where it is there's no borderline, it is abusive, yeah. teacher, sort of thing. I'm, I, it's obviously by no means condonable, and obviously these people yeah. are still villains, but we're just trying to argue their point of view. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it, um, but that that, that works. But like you said, that end scene yeah. kind of undoes it. Yeah, the thing that also that's always thrown me with that was because the end scene, like obviously there's the thing where he storms off stage and he comes back, like Miles Teller, like he realizes it's all fallen a bit, and it's like look, um, Fletcher's sacrificed his career because like he doesn't he doesn't know that Miles Teller's gonna do that. He th- he thinks he's just gonna take off, and that's it. Like because there's the argument of like oh yeah he was trying to bring out a really good performance with him out, out of him at the end of the film, but like he didn't know he was gonna do that. Fletcher's thing is he's, no. he's sacrificed because th- this whole thing makes him look like an idiot because he's, br- he's brought out a jazz band on stage that have played appallingly badly um, in front of like you know jazz jazz <laughs> in front of people that sign artists for Blue Note and stuff like that and you're like he's yeah. sacrificed his career just to get back at this kid for getting him fired from his job yeah so which is like, right, so okay, petty. Well, me, me... Yeah, my my first gig's gone down the pan. Right, okay. My yeah. second gig's been a conductor in the jazz halls. Let's see if I can cock that up as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by by exactly the same means, just generally being a dick. Like, yeah. But yeah, I, I do see I do see your point with that. Absolutely. Now, my my third one's just just uh, it's a comedy one really, because um, right. I thought I'd go for something a bit more light-hearted. Because uh, you know, obviously with 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 that one, you can debate the. 
the the ethics of teaching all day and obviously the magneto one is you know it's a conversation really if you're gonna if you're gonna get into the politics of that it's a conversation not for a light-hearted podcast yeah (laughs) um but but this one is now don't get me wrong i'm on ferris's side but the head teacher in ferris bueller yeah yeah because he is the he's the antagonist of the film isn't he? he's not necessarily the villain but he is the yeah. antagonist, and all he's trying to do is do his job. And then Ferris has been a little shit and ditching deliberately off winding him up. Yeah, deliberately winding him up, and it's like, oh, yeah. Rudy! <laughs> and uh, Rudy, you know, all that. <laughs> <laughs> By God, I want to have a word with you. Actually, no, we'll get together. We'll do lunch. Um, <laughs> I want Sloan outside the school in five minutes by herself. <laughs> Oh, so so that's how it is in that family. <laughs> but, but you know, Ferris does that, and he gets Cameron's ill, and he goes and gets him out, and then he steals Cameron's dad's antique car. And, yeah, yeah, you know, literally, you know, it's like literally, it's like Ferris. The guy doesn't drive it; he just wipes it down with a diaper. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. literally the guy's pride and joy. Um, but Ferris Bueller is a and, dick. Like that's the whole, yeah, and, the and whole he, thing of that film. Literally, he ruined so many people's lives that day. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but yeah, but obviously you know, and I, f- I feel bad defending that character because in real life the actor that played him is a deplorable human being. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, um, but you know, if we're just strictly talking about the character, his yeah. villain's only trying to do his job, which is to keep the kid in school so mm. that he doesn't doesn't fail. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I suppose so. <laughs> it's it's one of them where it's funny to watch him. You know, it's like when he's when he's in the bar and he's like, "Bueller, your ass is mine." And then the last turns round and clouts him. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, dog ravages him a new one, and then he's sat next to last on bus. Is it a lollipop or chewing gum or Some, something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you you can't help but sort of as you as you get older, sort of thing like. Even though it's still hilarious, what happens to him? Feel sorry for him. So, yeah. so there you go. They're they're my three villains, if you like, that I uh, I thought had had a point. Okay. Um, what are I yours? think with me, part, I've got see, I've got a two for this. I've got a really serious one and, and a funny one, but like, I, the Joker in the Dark Knight to me, sort of has something, you know, like because it's it's just that that absolute anarchy and chaos for the sake of like tearing the world apart and building it again or not even necessarily building it again just tearing the world apart like to to me it it's he's one of those characters where like anybody in the world is only one psychological breakdown away from that happening the the, the quote is uh, one bad day away <laughs> yeah, that's do you know the, what I mean? Uh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like, that's the, the the quote, isn't it, that they wrote about? It. I think it's the oh gosh, it's not long Halloween, it's Killing Joke. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one, and uh, I don't think the Joker's overall plan in Dark Knight is particularly cracking. I would say Harvey Dent is more more a compelling uh, villain who kind of has yeah. a point in that film. Uh, Joker has I I get what you're getting at because Joker has pockets of things where you say it and it's like yeah okay if if you force it to and if you look at it from this perspective and don't take into a you know there's some of that some of that sort of stuff but that's the whole idea is I think on a certain level you're supposed to be able to sort of see where the character's coming from to be able to 
yeah, sort yeah. of understand the character. But Two Face, I mean, obviously he's he's the reluctant villain, isn't he? He's Harvey Dent, yeah, and he's had everything taken away from him, and you kind of understand where he's coming from as a bad guy. He's sort of like he's been broken. He's had that bad day, uh, that psychological sort of break, and yeah. realistically. You know, who does he want to try and punish? At the end of it, he wants to punish Batman, who's a vigilante operating outside of the law, which has caused people to, like the Joker, turn up and be extremely theatrical and over-the-top about their crimes to sort of, you yeah. know... Like, the, the escalation speech at the end of Batman Begins is exactly what we get in Dark Knight. Yeah, he's then, much, yeah. He then wants He then wants to punish Gordon, <clears throat> and he then wants to punish um, himself, doesn't he? For, yeah, I suppose so. For the pain that they've been, but anyway, yeah. go on. What's your funny one? My other, well, I, I suppose funny, like it, um, it's got to be Johnny Lawrence and the Karate Kid. Oh yeah, because I mean, like, it it gets to a point where Larusso's just deliberately winding him up. Like yeah. you know, it's, it's I think it's it's partly just because I'm, I'm um because that's kind of the whole point of of Cobra Kai when they brought the TV series back and it's like it's kind of following on from the events at the end of the first one rather than like doesn't really take much into account about the sequels but um yeah like when you sort of see what his life's turned into and when you get a bit of backstory about the character of Johnny Lawrence and what the sort of stuff that he'd been going through mm. that kind of got him to where he was in the first movie um yeah I th- it, there, there are certain points where you can look at it from his perspective and think do you know what? Yeah, like this Larusso kid's being a prick. You know, yeah, even, I, I can I can sort of see that one. Yeah. To be fair, kind of it goes a little a bit beyond retaliating. Yeah. yeah, like it it goes a little bit beyond that sort of retaliating against a bu- against a school bully, and it's like okay, it's you know there is there's also there's some bullying going on on your side here. I've you know I've I mean? not seen uh, Cobra Kai yet. Yeah. Um, and it's years since I've seen the Karate Kid, so I, I take it that they're still sort of um, antagonistic to each other in Cobra Kai. That they've not suddenly had like a midlife crisis and the best buds or anything. Yeah, I mean it's quite it's quite hit and miss. Um, it's more like it, Cobra Kai sort of deals with a more realistic. I say realistic. That's ridiculous because it's Cobra Kai is basically like like if if eighties hair metal was a TV show, it would be Cobra Kai. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of it, it goes to, for the more sort of realistic ideas of like good and bad. Like there's less hmm. sort of um, there's less of this black and white stuff going, like spaghetti western sort of carry on, you know. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. It's much more grey area, and there's faults on both sides, and good on both sides, and everybody's redeemable, and like. Um, and there's nobody, even even when because they bring John Kreese back in the second series. Sorry, spoiler alert. They bring John Kreese back in the second series, who's the uh, the who is Johnny Lawrence's like karate instructor in the first movie. Mm. Um, and really nasty guy, but even him, you can sort of you get this sense of like he's been dicked over a bit in his life, and he's just he's just lashing out and taking it out on somebody else. So it's it's an interesting one, um, but yeah, I think that's yeah. that's someone that's a villain. I would say had a point in a way would be Johnny Lawrence from from the Karate Kid. Fair enough. 
Do you know, I, need, I really need to revisit that film. I probably yeah. it's years since I've seen it, um, and I've heard smashing things about Cobra Kai, mainly from yeah. you, yeah, uh, but quite a few other folk as well. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be, uh, it, it will be one of them. I'm useless when it comes to series. It's such a big commitment to watch a series. You can put a film on, and it's done in a couple of hours, and then you, you know, get onto the next one if you've got time to binge something. But yeah, you know, it's, I, I, I'm just, I'm weird with my series, aren't I? Oh, fair enough, yeah. We should probably get through these questions because we've got loads of them. Uh, we've got one Go from on John. Then, let's... If you could reboot a movie with any actors, uh, sorry, with any actors and director uh, with an unlimited budget, who would it be? What? Sorry, what would it be? What film would it be? Oh, that's a good question. That is a really good question. So, like, you're rebooting a movie, uh, you can have anyone you want playing the characters and anyone you want directing it. I would do the Harry Palmer series. Okay. Which originally starred Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would probably get somebody like Charlie Hunnam or Richard Madden, maybe even Colin Farrell okay. to play Harry Palmer. And I would make them really sort of gritty, dirty, sort of, you know, into the into the sort of depths of crime and espionage sort of thrillers. Yeah. And, sort of get get back to real sort of basics with them um because i think there's a, there's a real opportunity there for the character harry palmer was a was obviously a a 60s character written by len dayton and the guys that made bond adapted that and did it obviously with michael kane they did yeah. a trilogy of films in the in the 60s and then did a, a revival in the 90s when michael okay. kane came back and they're all pretty good um little sort of like thrillers um you know, action movie sort of thing, um, but I think I think that would be uh, a really good uh, a good shout. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I don't I don't know. I haven't really given this one a lot of thought. I think, um, I'd I'd quite like to remake. Um, I'd quite like to remake Under Siege. Oh, I yeah. And it's, as much as because I love the movie, like it's you know I'm not. The biggest Steven Seagal fan of, like overall, but I, I love Under Siege. I think it's brilliant. Um, mm. Yeah, with with any actors, um, I'll probably put somebody like Killian Murphy in it. And have him play Casey Ryback? Yeah. So who who's going yeah. opposite Killian Murphy then to play uh, Stranix? To play Stranix. Um... I would think. I mean, this is this is it's kind of a cliche answer because they've been they've kind of been up opposite each other a couple of times. But I'd I'd go with Tom Hardy. Hey, no, that could work. That could yeah. work. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that would be. I think that would be good. And and who's who's your director then? Uh, mm, see that one. I'd quite like to see David Finch have a go. Yeah, that could be good. That could yeah. be good. That I, I, I never mentioned the director for mine. I think Matthew Vaughan, who did the Kingsman movies, um, oh, okay. and um, he did X Men First Class. Yeah. Um, and he did the the recent remake of Man from Uncle. So you know yeah. he can handle sixties properties. Uh, okay. I I reckon he would be quite good. The other one that I was thinking of as well. Um, and this really all depends on on the actors' acting chops because I've only seen them in one film. 
but it's really just their uncanny looks. But I'd love to see a Dirty Harry prequel set in the in the early sixties. Right. Where Dirty Harry gets promoted from being a beat cop to whatever the next step up is, you know, where he starts going into the higher ranks of the police and yeah. see the case that makes him become Dirty Harry. Okay. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And I would I would love to see Scott Eastwood, which is Clint Eastwood's thirty five year old son, yeah. play Dirty Harry, but set it in the sixties and go full on aesthetic sixties. Okay. And then for the direct for the director, it's gotta be Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I suppose so. That that's my second yeah. pitch. My, I think like if if we were gonna pick somebody, I'd, I'd never even thought of Clint Eastwood as a director. Like if we're gonna pick somebody to remake, uh, to remake Under Siege, I think Eastwood would have a really good crack at that. He does do well, does Clint Eastwood with uh, yeah. with action movies? I mean, stuff. He, Clint Eastwood generally tends to lend himself better to like drama thriller. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, there are some some brilliant action movies yeah. that he's but, done. I mean, I mean, because it would it would be like. Because that was kind of the idea with David Fincher as well. Because obviously he's more drama thriller as well. I'd like to see Under Siege done as like more of a drama thriller, you know, like more psychological, less kind of bouncing around with martial arts. You know, yeah. like like more the 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 protagonist and antagonist actually communicating with each other and and trying to fix the hostage situation. You know, like make it a bit more sinister and a bit darker. I think. Yeah, that could be. That could be cool. Yeah, that could be really cool. What's the next question? Uh, so Badger asks: Are minions really that bad, or are they evil villains? Ah, see, that's they they they're cute and they're fluffy and they're lovable and they're called Bob and Dave and Keith and yeah. silly things that little fluffy cute things shouldn't be called. So obviously but, they're evil. So, so they they are though because <laughs> yeah. they. It's weird, isn't it? Because obviously it's a kids' film. But have you seen the spin-off Minions? No, I haven't. I haven't yet. No. Well, that's hilarious. But the, the it shows you in the opening montage of the film the Minions basically sort of coming into existence, yeah. and their sole purpose for existence is um, to serve the most evil character of of all time. Yeah, and it shows a mont a montage of the minion tribe going through history, like they're they're with T Rex, and then the you know they're they're with cavemen, and then they sort of go through, and it gets to about Napoleon Bonaparte, yeah, um, and then they 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 sensibly have them go into exile so that you don't have to have the whole minions looking after Hitler sort of horrible thing, <laughs> yeah. But but it show it shows that succession and then brings them out of exile in the nineteen sixties, yeah. Um, and, and does that, but their their goal is to to serve the most evil fiendish, you know, person ever. And yeah. then in Despicable Me three, why do I know so much about this? Is Despicable Me? See, guys, this is me. I'm a, I'm a film buff. For better or for worse, I will watch anything <laughs> you put in front of me, and I'll I'll analyze it and I'll take it in. And it's, uh, but there you go. Um, but in Despicable Me Three, the minions break away from from Gru and family because they've decided to turn good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah they are. E- they are evil. I think they're evil. They, they just yeah, they're evil. Like because I've, I've seen Despicable Me. I'm really that's about as far as I've gone into that sort of universe. But they just they just look evil. Like <laughs> they're brilliant. 
They just look they're horrifyingly absolute. malevolent, you know, like <laughs> the, the guy though. The, yeah, the guy that directs all those films is the guy that voices them. He's a French actor called Pierre Coffin. Okay. Um and he does all the voices for all of them and oh, he must have a whale of a time in the you know, like going banana and the sound studios, yeah. <laughs> doing, doing doing all that sort of <laughs> stuff and saying all the like they because they talk, but they talk in broken English and you know, get words wrong and do yeah. all that sort of thing and there's a lot of that ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da sort of going on as well. Yeah, yeah Bill and Ben type uh, stuff. Like Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Flobba dub dub. <laughs> so Mike says, uh one movie that you love that everyone else tends to hate. Um. Well, me and Mike both love this movie. It's Licensed to Kill. Okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, oh, it, does often tend to hate Licensed to Kill. It, it's kind of having a bit of a bit of a renaissance at the moment, if you like, because yeah. Daniel Craig has brought back gritty and done all that. But it 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 was the lowest grossing Bond film of the original franchise. Yeah, and it was um, certainly critically panned at the time. Yeah, and it was it was one one of the reasons for the hiatus. That's that's the obvious one um, that I I love that everyone else hates. Uh, I've talked about it before, but Jaws four. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm just sort just sort of trying to think. People generally tend to love the room, so I'm just sort of scanning through sort of other things that I've watched. I didn't mind. Um, in fact, I actually really quite enjoyed. That's my boy with Adam Sandler. Okay. Um, yeah. The one where it's him and Andy Samberg, and he's Andy Samberg's long lost dad, and tracks him down because he needs him for some sort of thing, and that got absolutely panned. But me and our kid went to see that when it came out in the cinemas and absolutely howled and yeah. loved it to the point I bought I bought the DVD and have watched it a couple of times since. Yeah, that I think I think there's a there's okay. a few from me. I'm gonna get in some trouble for this. I think. Um. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Film buffs are going to hate me. I really like The Phantom Menace. Fair enough. I'd, I don't think I don't think it's by any means the weakest of the prequel trilogy. Um, nah, that's, that's Revenge of the Sith, surely. Yeah, I think Revenge of the Sith probably is. Um, no, nah, I like it. I'd, I think it gets a bad rap. I think that um, people forget that the fight scene with Darth Maul is... Probably the coolest lightsaber battle in the franchise. I would agree. To be fair, and Jewel of the Fates yeah. is a really, really good piece of music, isn't it? Definitely Fantastic the best piece yeah, of music. Some of the best music in the whole franchise. Um, the pod racing scene is brilliant. The, the The reason why people hate it as much as they do is because the kid that plays Anakin is crap. Um, he's not terrible though. He's not great, but he's not terrible. No. Um, and uh, obviously, like, I mean, really. How else would an eight-year-old boy be? Well, yeah, I suppose so. Um, if you took any any eight-year-old boy, you know, any any happy-go-lucky eight-year-old boy, which you know he's supposed to be full of sort of excitement and energy and stuff, and he's even though he is a slave, he's clearly having a good time. If you took him and put him in the middle of a big grand adventure like that, he's gonna have a whale of a time, isn't he? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not he's not cracking, but I I would say. That on the whole, I prefer Jake Lloyd's performance as Anakin Skywalker as an eight-year-old. Yeah, rather than, than Hayden Christensen. Rather than Hayden Christensen, I think he did get. Yeah. I think Christensen got better in Sith. I I think his performance in yeah. Sith was better than. But he didn't have a lot. Yeah. 
I'm gonna say Attack of the Clones is probably my favourite of the prequels. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so there, there's me. That, that's another one. Um, <laughs> but uh, a movie that I love that everyone else hates. It didn't have a lot to work with. None of them are scripted particularly well. Um, no, they're not. Well, George Lucas was uh, largely in charge of the dialogue, wasn't he? And uh, whilst yeah. he's a fantastic visionary, sometimes you need other people to put the words to that to that vision. Yeah, because um, it's it's kind of the, the litmus test with it was seeing uh, was seeing Natalie Portman in it because um, yeah. she's amazing, she's an absolutely fantastic actress, but just lacked a lot in in Star Wars, you know. And I think that's. Yeah, I think that's the that was the sort of test of that is to see if a really good actor could be really yeah. bad in it. I saw I saw a defense of the sequel trilogy the other day. I don't mind seven and nine. I'm really not a fan of uh, of eight. Yeah, but but somebody's like, you cannot complain about Princess Leia using the Force to glide through space or the way she died in um, in episode nine. Spoiler alert for a two year old film. Um, <laughs> but you you can't you can't complain at that. If you're okay with Natalie Portman literally dying of a broken heart in episode three, yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't say dying because she had a bad day or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, okay, so we've got uh, we've got one from Chris. Um, how did you come up with the name? What? Okay, so um, little story. Me and Phil are both Indiana Jones nuts. Yeah. Um, and when we decided that we wanted to have a proper go at doing a podcast, we were like, well, the podcast is going to be about movies, but it's not going to be about a specific movie franchise or a specific movie all the time. Yeah. But we want the the title of it to be a really, really obscure reference from a movie that we both love. So we, we, we batted it about, and it's from Indiana Jones, as I, as I just mentioned, and The Last yeah. Crusade. And there's... Um, a scene in The Last Crusade uh, where the Nazis capture Indy and, and Henry Sr. And uh, it's like, oh, well, we need to get Marcus Brody. And uh, Indy's like, the hell you will, he'll, you know, yeah. he knows every language and from here to the Sudan and, you know, knows every local custom. He'll yeah. blend in, he'll disappear. You'll and, never um, see him again. That's, <laughs> yeah. You'll, that's, yeah, exactly, yeah. And yeah. does all that. And then um, when, when they're later alone... Um, Henry, yeah, Henry Jones Senior turns around to his son and says, oh, "Was that true what you said about Marcus?" And he's like, yeah. "Dad, come on, you know him. He got lost in his own museum." Yeah. And so, so, so there was that. From. So that that's where the title comes from. Yeah. Um, we thought that it it lent in well to the sort of like we wanted to have our own sort of way of do we like a film or don't we like a film? Because we didn't just want to go the straight sort of you know out of five stars or marks out of ten or. Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb type rating. Yeah. So we're like, well, what can we do? And we're like, well, does it go in the museum, as in Marcus Brody's museum, because that's it, yeah. what all the indie artifacts are meant to go to? Or does it get lost, to, it history? Get lost to history? Get lost to history. Yeah. So yeah, that that's how we how we came up with the name. Yeah, and it's also whether the uh, the um, you chose you chose wisely. <laughs> wisely. Yeah. He chose poor. <laughs> A shout out to my, a friend of mine on Twitter, um, whose name absolutely escapes me. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Uh, I'll give him a shout out on the next one. He's a, a radio producer who did that. Call you for John us. for now. Yeah, yeah. Who did that for us? And uh, it's it's just awesome. I love it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's obviously the uh, the night from the end of uh, from the end of Last Crusade. 
I love that I've got a prop of that on a shelf behind Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> That's so cool. That's the cup um, of a carpenter. So Edward says, uh, is the thing's dong made out of orange rock like the rest of him? Well, of course it is. Yeah, I would say so. He, he's not going to pull down his shorts and then all of a sudden there's just going to be a regular skinned yeah, like, penis there. Yeah, I'd... Fairly, fairly obvious one. So yes, is disappointed. The I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed in you, Ed. That uh, <laughs> you know, you, you're such, such a big, big movie nerd and such a film buff like me. I would have expected yeah. something really, really challenging. And uh, yeah, Laura do, do says, better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Laura says, "What movie uh, really changed your perspective or outlook on things in life in general?" Oh, that's really difficult. Is that? I know mine straight off. That is really. Go go for it. Fight Club. It's got to be Fight Club. Like it. it, it what, what perspective did it change for you personally? Um, it kind of it it changed the way that I, that I think about uh about the way that the way that society works, and this whole this, the whole idea that if you want to completely tear yourself away from that, it is possible to do so. Um, that it's not like, you know, and the whole the whole thing like the things you own end up owning you. Mm. Um. Yeah, th- there's a lot of stuff in Fight Club where I think just just in terms of like of th- the way that that you sort of the way that I've always thought about life and the the um having my sort of belief system challenged like that and and completely flipped. I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's a lot of people feel that way about Fight Club. I think. Mm. Yeah. I don't, do you know, for me, I mean, like, there's there's things like, you know, I mean, It's a Wonderful Life got got talked about when we were debating this before, and oh, yeah. that's a really, really beautiful piece of cinema. Um, you know, obviously George Bailey's sort of thinking, you know, well, perhaps the world would be better without me in it sort of thing, and, you know, the, the, the message of that film is always, you know, that, that there'll be so many people's lives you've touched that you won't even realise, you know, and all that sort of thing, um, yeah. and whilst that is a really powerful message, I don't know whether it, it necessarily turned me around. It's really difficult, is that? Because I, I I love film, obviously. Cause I wouldn't be doing this otherwise. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think of a film that's really spoken to me, that's really made me. And I, and I, you know, we're not, we're not just doing this off the cuff. I've been wrecking my brain as long as I've had the the question. The one. That jumped to mind straight away when 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 she said it, and it sort of had to try and backtrack and think. Well, why did that one come to mind? Was Twelve Angry Men? Okay. And um, I think the reason it, it it just sort of I wouldn't say it changed anything per se, but it affirmed to me that you know sometimes you've got to go against the grain, um, and you've you've got to speak up for what's right. Yeah. And, and take action, even if it's even if it's an uncomfortable thing to do. At times, yeah. and you know that that sometimes you know your people aren't always gonna be you know sort of behind you and agree with you, and you 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 know your beliefs might be sort of in the in the minority, but if you know what what you know is is right and true, and you know is, is you know it's that sort of thing, isn't it? Because the, yeah. the, the whole thing of Twelve Angry Men is that there's there's twelve jurors there. Are they gonna hang this guy? 
11 of them say guilty without really considering the facts and there's a lot of things that they take into to consider you know into consideration with that like the guy's race his background is um you know his standing in society all that sort of thing um and then there's the one guy there who's like no we've we've got a man's life in the balance here if it were any of us we'd want the 12 people in that room to at least take the the opportunity to to talk through the case at least yeah and i remember being really really moved by that as a, a as a film so so that that was the one that came came to mind but i don't know that it predominantly changed anything on, on my outlook on on anything um yeah okay. I, I i can't I, I can't think of a you know of anything that's made me sort of change my core beliefs or my values or or anything but like i said that that one yeah. reaffirmed that you know it's, it's definitely the right thing to do to stand up for the little man or yeah, um, yeah. you know that sort of thing yeah to, to yeah. get all deep dark and wonderful on lost okay, in his well, own museum we're in the ba- yeah. we're in the basement <laughs> Laura we'll, uh, we'll get back to you about that one um, favourite opening scene from a film but not from a franchise favourite opening scene from a film that isn't a franchise ooh ooh now that's Memento, I think, is mine. Hmm. I'm just trying to think. Um, Favourite opening scene? There's not a franchise. I, w- I would definitely go with Memento for mine, because it's just the, the... Everything you need to know about the stories in there. Like, in the, the, the Departed. Oh, The Departed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, The Departed. I had to think about that then. No, Memento is it's a good shout, is that? Because like you say, it really sort of, it whets your appetite. Yeah. I, it like, gives you everything you need, but it gives you nothing at all. Yeah. The, there's that one in, in Seven Psychopaths. I think there's one I of mine. I didn't care for that, you know. Did you not? No? No. What, I mean, the, the the opening though, like the the, the opening scene, because it's the two gangsters yeah, talking it, on, the, on the bridge and then you, you see the... You see the assassin slowly walking up behind him, and it's just a guy walking across the bridge. And then, as he gets slowly more into focus, and he just like pops them both mid sentence. I remember watching that and yeah. thinking, "Yes, I'll, like this is brilliant already." Like, yeah. Do you know Pulp Fiction's another shout as well? We start in the in the cafe, oh, yeah. don't we? And obviously work work backwards from there. But I suppose th- those sort of films that do the whole, you know. Ending first and then work backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, obviously, Memento. That was pretty much the whole <laughs> yeah. thing with Memento. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, they know the opening scene in Departed. Those really good because it's you don't see anybody, and all it is is Jack Nicholson's voiceover, and then yeah. a stand-in character that's supposed to be young Jack, and. Um, and then a real young kid that's supposed to be young Matt Damon and sort of sets up the whole... So then when you join the film, you're like, ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really liked that as an opening scene. But um, there's so so many. I've seen so many films and it's sort of like you think, right, well, what what sticks with you? But yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, those got, two. Uh, De- sorry, yeah. No, I was just going to say just Departed and Pulp Fiction are my shouts. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll go with Seven Psychopaths and Memento and then we've got all the bases covered pretty much <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, final question, which is Ruben's big question. Um, Ruben's got a podcast of his own. 
him and his brother Rich do one called Going Jack, which you should check out. It's brilliant. And by the time it is a really good podcast. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, but by the time uh, this one's out, um, there'll be a new episode of that out as well. So might even Indeed, I think they're on episode six or seven, aren't they, at the moment? Yeah, a few ahead of us. Yeah. So Ruben says, "What's your most memorable movie food moment?" Movie food moment. So that's a moment with food in the movie rather than like eating food while watching a movie. I did clarify that. Just trying to think. Um, Now I know exactly what this is. Yeah. Um, And that the food is only really a setup for the scene. But uh, what do you want? Uh, Dry white toast. (laughs) (laughs) Do Do you want butter or jam on that? No, no, no. Dry. (laughs) And what about you? Four fried chickens and a Coke. (laughs) You know, chicken wings or chicken legs? Four fried 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 chickens. chickens. (laughs) I was thinking of one from the Blue Blues. I've got, I've got a few for this because, like, I love the, I love the bit, the bit from Pulp Fiction um, with the the burgers. That's just fantastic. It's so funny. The like, uh, just the way that Samuel L. Jackson. Is so horrifying with these guys. Um, like, oh, can I just uh, can I just take a sip of your uh, your beverage just to wash down this burger that I've just? And it's like you know he's about to kill these guys. Do you know what I mean? Like um, the bit in the bit with in uh, in the Boondock Saints with the mafia boss eating the sandwich is brilliant because it's it's like um, have you seen the Boondock Saints, right? I haven't, mate. No. no, I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen it. There's <laughs> a scene with the the Italian guy that's helping because it's it's these these two Irish guys that are going around murdering mafiosos in uh, in Boston, and there's this Italian guy who's helping them out who's like a like a minor sort of mafia associate, and um, he goes to this to the to this sort of head mafioso, um, and his his henchman is there as well who's played by Ron Jeremy, which is just surreal. It's not the weirdest thing in the world, um, and this guy's got this sandwich on the on the bench, and he's he's on the phone to someone. You can't really tell who it is, and so the the Italian guy and Ron Jeremy are having this little back and forth, taking the mic out of each other, and then suddenly this mafia boss screams down the phone at this guy and like threatens to kill him, and then <laughs> he slams the phone down after like like screaming and swearing on. And he just picks up the sandwich off the table and he says, um, I shouldn't have done that. You're not supposed to tell a guy he's going to kill him no more. And he like opens the sandwich and goes, he's taking all the fun out of the job. And it's <laughs> just, it's timed absolutely perfectly. It's a beautiful scene. But there's, there's that oh, one. Brilliant. And then the bit the bit in the restaurant in, um, in, in, uh, oh, sorry, in the Blues Brothers. Where they're going, they're going to get Mister Fabulous, yeah. and when he like <laughs> shuffles over the next table, and how much for the women? Said, sell them to me. Sell me your children. The women. Sell them. <laughs> like, how much them. for the little girl? <laughs> it's like it's one of the funniest Sir, things. Sir, we, we, we'd like to be moved. Those gentlemen are offensive. Did smelling. they say something to you? <laughs> no, no, they're offensive. Smelling. They smell 
bear. <laughs> if you yeah. don't rejoin the band, Elwood and I are going to come here for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of the week. <laughs> come on, guys. The soup's $10. <laughs> the soup is fucking $10. And, like, it just doesn't get any better than the Blues Brothers. Like, it, it's, yeah. Uh, so quotable. Yeah, man. Yeah, but when, when, when Ruben put that question through, that was the scene that came to mind, though, was the four fried chickens and a Coke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was, incidentally, that's what we were going to call this podcast <laughs> for a while. It, yeah, it was, actually, it was, yeah. That was an idea that was thrown around, we were going to we were gonna name it Four Fried Chickens and a Coke. Um, and on that note, so that's everybody's questions answered. Hope everybody's happy with those answers. Um, certainly absolutely. had a lot of fun talking about them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's been uh, been quite fun to do more more questions. Yeah. Uh, it's been, been brilliant. Thanks for, for writing in. Yeah, so... Uh, Hit us both up on Twitter for any others, uh, or on Facebook if you've got us on Facebook. On Twitter, uh, I'm at Twig Says T W I G S A Y S, and I am at J T underscore at the movies. So uh, give us a shout on Twitter with any any other questions that you've got and you want us to answer on the podcast. Um, we'll be back with you with another episode in a couple of weeks. So thank you very much for listening, um, and this has been episode three. So. Any feedback or anything about how we're doing, uh, about what things you like about the podcast, anything you don't like about it, um, feel free to give us a shout. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, and remember to stay indoors. And remain indoors and have a pleasant apocalypse. Absolutely. Take very good care, folks. See you later.